Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have here in the studio a wonderful, great friend of mine, Dr. Don Hawkins. Don is the president of Southeastern Bible College in Birmingham, Alabama, a great friend and comrade in faith. Welcome, Don, to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you, Timothy. What a joy to be with you and and an honor to be on the Beeson Podcast. Well, I'm a little intimidated because, uh, as I told you before we started, I'm talking here to an expert in radio and communications. Oh, but you know what an expert is. An X is a has-been, and a spurt is a drip under pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I won't take that uh, at face value because you you have really uh, been a pioneer in Christian communications and a number of different ministries, and you continue to do that today. So uh, thank you for giving us this time. I want to talk a little bit about your own pilgrimage of faith and what led you to Christ and your call to ministry. Tell us a little bit about that. Thanks, Timothy, for the opportunity. I grew up in Birmingham, right here in the city where Beeson is and where Southeastern is, and actually wound up coming to Southeastern. But prior to that, as a young lad of seven, uh, in an evangelistic revival, as you know, Baptist churches had those typically in the spring and the fall. And this was in the spring uh, when I realized that I was a sinner and needed a Savior and placed my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, received the assurance of my salvation. Uh, My dad, who just went to be with the Lord in December of this past Mm. year, uh, at the age of almost 94, uh, came to Christ right before I did. And he and I were baptized the same evening in public testimony of our faith. And uh, so I grew up in Birmingham, uh, began to really get into the Word, uh, was challenged to consider consider investing my life in service to the Lord, came to the conclusion that Southeastern Bible College was the place to train. So I went to Southeastern. There was no Beeson Divinity School then. I wound up going to Dallas Seminary after graduating from Southeastern. I met my wife, Kathy, at Southeastern, proposed to her just two miles from where we live today, (laughs) which is amazing. We've been married almost 46 years. I tell people our marriage is like Herod's Temple, and (laughs) we've been building it for 46 years, and we're going to continue. And uh, we have uh, three children, uh, twin daughters. One is married to a senior pastor. The other is married to a man in the air conditioning business. have a son, and he and his wife and daughter live in Nebraska. Both of our uh, daughters live in Texas. have a total of 12 grandchildren. One is now with the Lord, and we actually have four great-grandchildren. Wow. So we have been blessed. Uh, went to Dallas Seminary, eventually got a doctorate from Calvary Seminary, uh, but in the interim pastored for about 20 years, uh, then became involved during that time, actually, in broadcasting, and actually worked my way through my last year of seminary doing an all-night radio program in Dallas, Texas. Now, I want to stop you there, because when I first met you, I think it was through our mutual friend, Dr. Warren Wearsby, yes, it was. with Back to the Bible broadcast. That is correct, and I had the privilege of being the co-host and producer back to the Bible for about eight years. Got to know Warren and Betty very well. As you know, he came down and spoke for my installation, mm-hmm. and it was he who introduced us. And I remember his telling me, when you come back to Birmingham, there's someone you need to get to know, and that's Timothy George, and he'll become a great friend. And of course, Warren has the gift of prophecy. <laughs> he was absolutely right. Yeah. He had actually predicted that I needed to come back to Southeastern and would serve as president five years before I came back. 
It's pretty amazing. You also were involved with the Minrith Meyer Clinic out of yes. Dallas. What is that, and what did you do there? They're a Christian counseling clinic, although I didn't do any of their Christian counseling, uh, but I became good friends with Frank Minrith and Paul Meyer, and uh, Bob Neff, who is uh, Vice President for Broadcasting at Moody, uh, invited us to start a Christian radio call-in program. And in a sense, this was a pioneering endeavor. Uh, most people thought that Moody would never be open to doing something like this. But in 1985, we started this program, and it had an incredible impact in the lives of people because it gave Christians permission to talk about being depressed, being anxious, feeling hopeless, giving up. And uh, so we developed a ministry of encouragement there. And I really feel that one of my primary gifts and probably my um, core gift would be encouragement. And so everything else that I do, including leading the college and uh, being involved in radio and other things, really flows out of that uh, gift of encouragement, of coming alongside people to help. And, and that program certainly uh, did that. Uh, Dr. Frank Minrith has continued to be involved with me in some of the radio endeavors that mm -hmm. we've done uh, since that time as well. Well, God has blessed you in so many of these different avenues of ministry and outreach, communications, and we could spend this whole podcast just talking about one of them. You're a great preacher, for one thing. I do enjoy preaching and, and uh, get the opportunity almost every weekend, and what a joy that is, and, and I get a chance to teach. I'm teaching the Gospel of John at Southeastern right now, yeah. thoroughly enjoying that. What I want to focus on is your ministry of writing, because okay. it's not everyone who can be a great teacher, a administrator, a preacher of the gospel, a radio communicator, and also write. You've actually written or co-authored some 20 books. Yes. And it's been a joy to be involved in that ministry. I never thought I would be an author, a writer. And, of course, you understand about that because you're a prolific author as well. And your wife, Denise, actually does schools for writers, mm -hmm. which I yeah. think is a, a tremendous thing. My wife, Kathy, has also published four books. And so uh, we have sort of the same relationship that you and Denise have and, and sometimes working with each other on writing projects. So you are a prolific person in several ways. Your family, for one but also your books and your writing. And I want to focus today in our conversation on one of your books, which has a fascinating title, Never Give Up, hmm. The Incredible Payoff of Perseverance. How did you come to write this book? Interesting story behind this book, uh, Timothy. I really felt that people were discouraged and were susceptible to giving up. And I felt like God had given me a positive personality and that I would probably never feel like giving up. And so maybe I could help the body of Christ by writing a book like that, which is a rather arrogant uh, attitude to have. And uh, God allowed me to go through some very humbling circumstances in which I uh, was very ill physically and also felt very discouraged and felt like giving up. And it was out of that that God crafted the message of this book, Never Give Up. And I've been very grateful for the number of people who've uh, seized that book and, and laid hands on it and read it and been encouraged by it so that they in turn would not give up. Now you begin with a story of a missionary who was so discouraged, ready to quit, yes. and even contemplating suicide. Uh, tell us that story and how you ministered to him, if you would. Well, it's uh, interesting. We think of missionaries as people who do not have that kind of uh, attitude, who do not feel like giving up, who never are in a position where they feel despair. But the reality is um, 
missionaries can feel that way as well. I was speaking at a conference in Europe, uh, and it was uh, one of the large missionary agencies, independent missionary agencies. And this young man came to share with me, and he said, everybody thinks I have it all together. My wife does, everybody else. People would be shattered to know I really feel like giving up. I'm just a shell of the person that I used to be. And uh, I'll use the name John, which was not his real name. Uh, but I really encouraged him to think through uh, the whole process of should we give up? Do we need to give up? Is it possible that God can help us uh, understand what we need to do to avoid it? And I pointed him to essentially the great commandment, which I know, Timothy, you're very familiar with. Uh, love God with all your hearts and love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked about those key principles from Scripture. We talked also a little bit about uh, how the Apostle Paul at times felt like giving up and, mm. and, in a sense, preached to himself in Second Corinthians chapter 4 when he said twice there, we must never give up, we must mm, never yeah. quit. And uh, by the grace of God, uh, he became encouraged and maintained his missionary ministry and had a great impact for the Lord. Now take a few minutes and just point us to the Scripture. What passages in the Bible, what verses in the Bible would you recommend someone who's kind of down in the dumps, no hope, ready to quit? Where would they look to find encouragement in the Scriptures? I would start with a spiritual giant of the Old Testament named David, who most people think never felt like giving up. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 I know are very familiar to you. Mm. Verses 5 and 11 of Psalm 42 and verse 5 of Psalm 43 essentially give the same message. Three times David talks to himself and says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope, Hope in God. In God. Hope yeah. in God. And in essence, the message is never give up hope. And of course, in the book Never Give Up, I tell the story about Sir Winston Churchill, uh, who in essence uh, delivered the commencement address at Harrow School and uh, gave the shortest commencement address in history. Never give in. Never mm -hmm. give in. Never, 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 never give in, except in, situ in situations large or petty, great or small. Never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Most people think he said never give up. I thought he said never give up till I researched it. Never give in. In. Never give in, but essentially the same message. And, and so I would go to the passage there in the Old Testament, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, and I would reinforce how David talked to himself and encouraged himself. And I know you remember this in the account in First Samuel about Ziklag, where they were ready to stone him, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And I think we can encourage ourselves. I think we can also allow others to encourage us and uh, I would go to a passage like Hebrews chapter 10, where it talks about uh, encouraging one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I found if people have something to look forward to, that often helps in times of great discouragement and even despair. That text is referring to the second coming of Christ, exactly. isn't it? And I think if we underscore the reality of the second coming of Christ and the blessed hope that is yeah. ours, that can make a big difference. And then allowing others to encourage us. Uh, one of the key passages in the New Testament I know you're familiar with is Second Corinthians chapter 1. And in the first uh, eight verses or so, 
Ten times Paul uses the word for encouragement. He begins by talking about the God of all encouragement, who encourages us in all our trouble so that we can encourage others in any trouble with the encouragement with which we ourselves have been encouraged by God. So I see this as a process of like dropping a rock into a body of water. The ripple effect takes place, and we can encourage others as God encourages us, and then others can be encouraged by the ones that we have encouraged as well. Now, let me ask you this. You've said, Don, it's true that you are an upbeat personality. You're an encourager almost by instinct. I don't think you have to work at it. It just exudes from you. Well, you're kind. Thank it's you, true. Don't. However, there is a fine line maybe between that kind of godly, biblically rooted encouragement and the sort of positive thinking that always goes along with whatever situation. Just think on the bright side. God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. Don't worry about anything. There's almost a sentimentality there that runs counter to the reality of the gospel. Comment about that. I think that, uh, Timothy, we have today, in fact, I can think of some prominent preachers and evangelists who have espoused that kind of positive thinking outlook. And maybe we could identify, if we wanted to, three generations of those, but we'll not go there. Uh, but I think what we have to do is is base whatever positive encouragement we give on a realistic and biblical perspective. Uh, when I teach on encouragement, I have certain things that I say encouragement is not. And one of those things is that positive, upbeat, Pollyanna, pie-in-the-sky pie kind of an attitude. Uh, another thing that encouragement is not is not surface politeness. It's not the kind of thing that the telemarketer uses when he calls you at dinner time and says, how are you doing today, Mr. George? I'm sure glad to talk with you. Uh, it's not the manipulation to selfish ends that some people exercise. Uh, but true encouragement actually involves speaking the truth in love. There's a lot in Scripture about the verbal component uh, for example, we're told that death and life are in the power of the tongue in Proverbs 18.21. And, and uh, Proverbs 16.24 talks about pleasant words, which are sweet to the soul and, and honey to the bones and, and uh, nourishment to the bones. And uh, so much uh, in Scripture talks about uh, how we communicate. But that communication not only has to be positive, it has to be rooted in reality, has to be rooted in biblical truth. I'm speaking to Dr. Don Hawkins. He's the president of Southeastern Bible College in Birmingham, Alabama. We're talking about his book, Never Give Up, The Incredible Payoff of Perseverance. Now, Don, let's just focus on that last word, perseverance. Mm -hmm. It's one of the great doctrines of the faith, isn't it? The perseverance of the saints. It is, and we, we often think of it in the context of the sweet by and by, and that we as believers will persevere and we'll reach heaven. I think there's also a nasty now and now component, Timothy, mm. and I believe that the practical outworking of the perseverance of the saints is that God doesn't want the saints to give up today. I think the Apostle Paul was tempted to give up, and one of my favorite books in Scripture is Second Corinthians. In Second Corinthians, Paul talks about ministry, gives a philosophy of ministry, and he talks about living and serving and ministering in hard times. He talks about being shipwrecked and spending a night and a day in the ocean 
ocean and uh, uh, being beaten with 39 stripes and other things that most of us today don't have to go through because of our faith, maybe in some other countries. But the reality is, I think Paul preached to himself and encouraged himself in Second Corinthians, much as David did in Psalm 42 and 43. In essence, when he said in Second Corinthians 4, 1, therefore having received uh, mercy and having received this ministry as we have obtained mercy, we must never give up. We must not quit. And then in verse 16 of that chapter, he goes on to say, we must never give up. And he talks about three keys to never giving up. And these represent uh, a real essence in my book. And I shared these at commencement at uh, one of the Bible colleges uh, last year. Those three keys are faith, hope, and perspective. Uh, faith is, of course, a dependence beyond our ability. It's also an attitude that we're to adopt. And so if I not only have trusted Christ, but I'm living by faith, I've adopted an attitude of faith. Paul talked about having the same spirit of faith. That will keep me from giving up. Hope, obviously, the definition of hope for the Christian is different from what the world says. We hope that our favorite football team will win another national championship, those kinds of things that may or may not happen. But the hope, biblically speaking, from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14, talks about an absolute certainty for the future based on the absolute certainty of the resurrection in the past. And Paul uh, is very clear about that. And that hope, that solid anticipation and expectation causes us not to give up. And then perspective is where he says we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are seen. The things that are seen are temporal. And he calls his affliction a light momentary affliction. I believe if God can grant us that kind of a perspective, Timothy, we not only can avoid giving up ourselves, we can encourage others to never give up. I think there's a um, there's a dual nature to perseverance. What do you think about this idea? On the one hand, it's a gift. It's a sheer gift of grace. God keeps those he has called to himself, uh, Philippians 1.6. Yes. On the other hand, it's a responsibility because we are commanded to do this. Mm-hmm. Talk about that duality between gift and calling or responsibility. It's interesting in Philippians chapter 2, and you mentioned Philippians 1, Paul talks about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I'm teaching the gospel of John right now, and in John 10 verses 27 through 30, you have such a clear statement on the perseverance of the saints. My sheep hear my voice, I know them. Um, they'll never perish. No one will ever pluck them out of my Father's hand. I've given them eternal life, and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. A strong statement there. But over and over, Scripture talks about the responsibility that we have to continue in the faith, grounded and settled and not being moved away uh, from the faith to which we've been called. Now, one of the things about your book I think that is so helpful is that you deal honestly with a serious issue in many people's lives. It's called depression. Yes. Now, in the Bible, there was depression, though it wasn't called that back then. But, uh, you know, I, I want to make a confession on this podcast. I kind of grew up in a sort of Christianity where I looked down on people who had depression. I thought, well, you just need to, you know, grow up. You need, you need to buck up. Get over it. Pray about yeah. it. Yeah. You, you but know, I, I, I changed too. my mind <laughs> yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Talk right. about depression and how it affects some of God's servants uh, in, in every walk of life. 
Well, confession is good for the soul, and I once had that same attitude, and I think going through the experience where I felt depressed helped me to understand Mm -hmm. how other people felt depressed. And then I began to study, and I look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he took Peter and James and John, and it said he began to be sorrowful and very depressed. In fact, the text is very clear. If the perfect Son of God could feel depression, then I am wrong in feeling that depression is a sin or that depression is always caused by sin. Uh, David obviously had times when he was depressed because of sin in his life, and he admitted that in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Uh, But there are other times, clearly, when it wasn't something that David had done that caused him to feel depressed. And the Psalms are filled with those kinds of passages. When I look at the lives of great men, Dwight L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, Howard Hendricks, who was my Mm. dear professor at Dallas Seminary, those men all admitted to experiencing the blackness of depression at times. Uh, Robert Murray McShane and other great mm-hmm. men. I know you're a, uh, an avid student of church history. Yeah. And down through the years, there have been people who have acknowledged Martin Luther, I think, Indeed, acknowledged yeah. uh, dealing with depression. St. John of the Cross, the dark yes. night of the soul. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is a common way to walk yeah. in the mm-hmm. life of faith. Now, uh, we're almost out of time, but Don, if you will just visualize a listener to this podcast, perhaps a pastor, maybe a lay person, maybe a young person, someone who is struggling with depression right now, and you were to speak a word of hope and encouragement to them, what would you say to that person? My friend, I would first of all encourage you to cry out honestly to the Lord and tell him exactly how you feel. He already knows that, but he invites you to come, as Hebrews says, boldly and repeatedly. And this is a part of that passage we don't always understand. The the boldly we understand, but he says, come repeatedly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think we have to start with crying out to God. Secondly, we have to ignore the well-meaning but pious statements of people who say, uh, just get over it if you'll pray about it, or just get over it if you'll take these three steps, or uh, if you just meditate on two Bible verses and, and call me in the morning, or that kind of uh, a trite attitude, or even people who say depression is a sin. Uh, and thirdly, I would say it is important to have some real people that we can share our feelings with. That may be a professional counselor, and I strongly encourage always find somebody with good, solid, biblical values that are compatible with yours. If you need medication, get checked out. I believe God has given people wisdom, and I mentioned my friend Dr. Frank Menrith, who's a board certified in psychiatry and, and who is one of the top uh, people in psychopharmacology in America. They're people that God has given to the body of Christ into the world in general who have understanding. If you have a toothache, you want to get a good dentist to deal with your toothache. You'll be a lot more spiritual if you deal with the pain of the toothache. If you're depressed, that's emotional pain. If you deal with that pain, then spiritually you'll be in much better shape uh, to walk with the Lord and to serve the Lord. But the main thing is don't give up hope. Don't give up. It is imperative that we recognize that through faith and hope, and perseverance. Friend, you don't ever have to give up. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Don Hawkins. He is the president of Southeastern Bible College in Birmingham, Alabama. We've been talking about his book, Never Give Up, The Incredible Payoff of Perseverance. What a wonderful word of encouragement you've been and given to us today, Don. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you, Timothy. What a privilege to be here.
You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.